Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Good morning, everyone. We're glad to see you. We'll go ahead and get started, and then we'll welcome other folks as they come. Well, this is our sixth lesson, and that door's closed, isn't it? Our sixth lesson is Proverbs, and I think I can assure you that today's lesson will not be boring, or it'll keep our attention, I think. So my goal today is to cover chapters 5 and 6 and 7, and uh, these are all, except for just a little bit of chapter 6, these these chapters cover uh, Solomon's warnings about sexual sin to his son. And you can see uh, that uh, I'm giving a couple of introductory explanations and clarifications. He's going to talk about the forbidden woman, the adulterous woman. <clears throat> but this lady uh, in Proverbs 5-7 through represents every enticement to sexual Immorality, whether uh, which is any sexual thought, desire, activity, including opposite sex, the same sex, solo sex, or images on a computer, of course, referring to uh, to pornography outside the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman, and then also uh, these warnings are to a son, to a male, but they can you can turn the inverse and apply it uh, to daughters, to to ladies too. Um, the warning to the males is be careful for the seductive woman, uh, the predatory woman. Of course, the, the uh, warning to the ladies, to the girls, is be careful about the predatory man, which it seems like that's more prominent than the predatory woman, but I don't, I don't know that for sure. Um, well, I forgot to pray, so let's pray before we go any further. Our Father, thank you for uh, this morning. We thank you for all that it means to us as your people to, in a particular way, to focus on the, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and therefore our resurrection uh, in life today and our bodies one day. We praise you and thank you for that. We thank you for your word that you've given to us. And now we pray you would minister to us by your word. Make it... Uh, it is a living word. Make it alive in our hearts today as we read it and study it. Uh, we pray the Lord Jesus would be uh, blessed to us through our study. Thank you for each person that's here. I pray you would strengthen and encourage them by your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, are you amazed? At, are you surprised that, that uh, when Solomon's giving particular instruction to his son that the predominant topic uh, is sex and, and avoiding uh, sexual sin. Um, why do you think he's doing that? 
Okay, good. Arthur points out that he's from a family that had was hugely dysfunctional and with sexual sins with his father and others. Yeah, good. Well, uh, sexual sin is a serious problem. I thought about three, three, uh, three reasons. Uh, one is just the obvious that that that, that went away. So, oh, oh, there we go. Um, that it's a pervasive issue in our culture today. When, when we look back at, at the emphasis that that uh, Solomon gave to it, we see it was pervasive then too. So I think the the understanding is it's been a pervasive issue since the fall uh, from the garden. Another reason, and so I think it is important that we address it today. Another reason is because um, sexual sin is a form of idolatry. And sexual sin is against uh, other people. But first of all, it's a sin against God. It's a form of, it's a worship issue and it's a form of idolatry. Um, any kind of sexual perversion is idolatry. And as we've seen before, it's really clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament too that sexual sin has a very clear uh, spiritual dimension to it and oftentimes uh, spiritual uh, sin is combined with sexual sin or it's or the imagery of spiritual sin is a, is a, is sexual uh, sexual unfaithfulness and then the third the third reason I think that it's so serious um, is how invasive it is in our lives. Um, just the unique consequences, not only spiritually, but even physically, emotionally, uh, psychologically. We'll, we'll talk more about that uh, when we get to uh, looking at, I think we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6 a little bit. So it's a serious... Uh, serious problem. Um, so this is an example that the Bible addresses this issue quite clearly. Um, but yet with, uh, with discretion. I think that's really important. Um, he gets pretty clear here and in the Song of Solomon he gets really clear too about the physical relationship between a husband and a wife. Um, but um, but there is clarity, but discretion. And I think that's important. Uh, we may get to the Song of Solomon someday. I don't know about that, but that's uh, that's an interesting book to study. So I think just to just to say uh, uh, I'm a little uncomfortable with our lesson today. If it's the group of men, I'd be more comfortable. I remember when we had our men's breakfast back in January, we talked about this, about the issue of pornography, 
And we were you know, just a room full of men, so we were able to get really explicit and use words that, that didn't leave me in doubt about what we were saying. Um, but doing that in a, in a room of mixed company, I think, is a little more challenging. So I'm going to try to be clear and discreet uh, at, the same, uh, at the same time if I can do that. Uh, and maybe that's, that's uh, proper, that, uh, that there's a little bit of a discomfort in that. Uh, our culture is really oversexed in its identity. Hello, folks. I guess y'all can get on the front row here. <clears throat> we're in Proverbs chapter 5. And we're going to try to cover Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 today. Our, our culture, have you noticed, I don't know what has been in other cultures, I haven't looked, but how much a person's uh, identity is their, at least what they want it to be, is their sexuality, is their sexual identity. Um, that's not true for us as God's people. What is, what's the, what's the essence, the core of our identity as Christians? Who said that? Right, yeah, we're in Christ. That's our identity. We have a sexual identity, but it's not the predominant identifying factor of who we are. It's important, but it's not the it's not uh, predominant, but wow, in our culture today, it has really become that, and uh, very sad too, the way it's been, um, the way it's been perverted. Okay, so let's, uh, <clears throat> oh, and then just one other thing I want to say, but <clears throat> I hope we'll come back to it too, but in case I forget in a hurry and I forget, um, sexual sin is a serious thing. It has, it can have lifetime consequences. But let's always remember that there's forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's cleansing in Him. And uh, with the new birth and regeneration, there's, there can be victory over sexual sin. So let's remember that. That as serious as the things are that we're going to talk about, um, we're not hopeless and helpless as God's people. God has provided a way through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's look now at... Um, uh, what we're calling the Father's Instruction, number 8, Proverbs 5, 1 through 23. And maybe I'll just uh, read. Well, what, would somebody read verses 1 through, uh, this is Proverbs 5, verses 1 through um, 4. Who will read that? Or Proverbs 5, 1 through 4. My son, attend unto my wisdom, and I near to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Okay, good. Thank you, Craig. He has uh, Solomon... He has these three, um, what we're calling the Father's Instructions, and they're definitely set out as separate units. So maybe these were separate lessons that he gave to his son. We're going to see they do have, they have a lot of overlap, so we're not going to be able to, we're not going to cover every verse, obviously, we don't have time for that. Um, because a lot of the concepts he covers, are, he, he covers them again and again. Um, but at the beginning of each one of these three sections that we're going to look at, 
uh, he begins the same way. He appeals. He appeals to his son, and we could say to his daughters also, uh, about the preventative of wisdom to protect uh, from sexual immorality. And um, so that's one thing we'll see. I don't, I don't think we'll go look at it each one. But the other one is um, the idea of speech and words. By the way, I, I tabulated your um, uh, your voting for the topics that we're going to use in speech, words and speech of the tongue uh, was right at the top of the list. So that's one we're all, all concerned about. If you had voted and you want to, you can get a, a ballot from me. These are the topics we're going to cover over the next, uh, not next week, but then when we get into chapters 10 through 31, we'll cover these, cover some of those topics. But notice the emphasis on words in, uh, in this little preface here that he's done. It, it is interesting, verse 2, um, that you may, he's speaking of the, the need to be attentive to his words, to wisdom, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Um, that's what the, the ESV says. Do you have a version that has anything different? The second part of verse 2. And your lips may guard knowledge. Your lips may... Preserve. Preserve knowledge, okay. Anything safeguard. else? Yep. Safeguard. Safeguard, okay. All right. Well... Uh, and notice in the next verse, he, he warns he warns him about the seductive speech of uh, of the forbidden woman. Um, but let's think about words for a minute, particularly as we're thinking now about an uh, inappropriate relationship between a man and a woman, a sinful relationship between a man and a woman that can lead to uh, the sexual sin. Um, I think what we see here is that words are often the first, the first inappropriate words are often the first connection between, or, or that, that can begin to establish an inappropriate relationship with words. Now, I don't know exactly, I, I, I don't do much Hebrew, so I didn't know exactly what he meant by speaking to uh, to his son that your lips may guard knowledge that your lips may um, preserve knowledge but Scott what was your safeguard safeguard knowledge um, the only thing I can begin to think about that is that that uh, um, what we say, uh, we need to guard and be careful about the words that we use. And he's going to say in the next verse that the, the seductive woman is going to purposely use her words to, uh, uh, to seduce uh, this young man. So I'm trying to think about boundaries that we should have. For example, for me, boundaries in my conversation that I should keep in place as I have as I have discussion with other women that are not my wife. She's right over there in that Sunday school class. Uh, 
Can you, do you know where I'm trying to go with that? Am I explaining that? Are you aware that there are topics of conversation or moods of conversation that are inappropriate? I'm just using myself. That are inappropriate for me to have with another woman that's not my wife. Or maybe I'm saying there's conversations that I will readily have with her that I should never even consider having with anybody else. I don't know what those are exactly, but I think I know it when I feel it or see it or something, John. Well, usually temptation is a path. And it might start out, for example, in the workplace, if you have a workplace romance. It starts out with a friendly conversation and it can gradually slide into something that's more than that. So it's like, be aware that there's a point at which stepping over into the area of intimacy, even though it's not physical, it's emotional. And once you're there, then it's easier to take the next step all the way along. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm thinking about. I remember um, a very difficult time for our family was when our son left our home uh, when he was 16. And that was devastating to us. And I remember mentioning that to somebody at work, and they had also had a son that had left. And I began to notice there was a little bit of a connection there because she seemed to understand our pain, understand my pain. And that was appropriate as a Christian sister to express that to me. But I began to notice I need to be careful here that the type of grief and concern I express to my wife at a deeper level is not the same that I would express to her or receive the same kind of comfort and compassion from her. I remember distinctly thinking that and then you know, not ignoring the lady but but not bringing up that subject just so it wouldn't, like you say, John, be a step toward an inappropriate to lowering the boundaries that we should we should have. Okay. Um, any other thoughts about about that? Yeah. Isn't yeah, that uh, also the reason why in counseling it's encouraged that men counsel men and women counsel? Absolutely. You know, in our counseling program, you'll never find a male counselor with a female alone or a female counselor with a male alone. Um, maybe a couple might counsel a female alone, but not, I mean, but not, never, never, you're right about that. Yeah, that's really important. Okay, well, the words, and we're going to see this all through here, that, that words are the first uh, concern that we should, we should have about. And we're going to study words again uh, in, the, in the future. Um, notice in verse 8, just to see something else there, maybe kind of along that same line. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. So what's the admonition? What's the warning there? Verse 8. The, the two words that are clear. So what is it? I was just saying, you know, I think it's trying to impress on us a strong, clear, and distinct boundaries. It's, it's, it's almost like don't be any kind of friend because you're crossing the line. You know, with... with and this is, you know, with this, these certain types of women that are trying to seduce you, you need that clear boundary. Right. Um, 
keep your way far from her. Um, do not go near the door of her house. And it's those first little steps as we talk about words or other things. Uh, just an inappropriate touch or something like that. I, uh, when I was a chaplain in businesses, my commitment was that the only part of a woman's body I would touch was her hand. It, now, the church I may give an appropriate embrace to a sister in Christ, but uh, in public, I, it, and sometimes it seemed kind of cold, but I, I would just shake her hand if I wanted to show a greeting to her. Okay, so watch these little things, these little steps that can take, uh, take place. Uh, that can take us down the, the wrong pathway. Sometimes that first little step is the most important step uh, to avoid because it can lead to other things uh, so easily. All right, then verses 7 through 14, I got this directly from a guy named Peter Kroll. I don't know Peter Kroll. I actually thought I ought to contribute something to his ministry, but he doesn't want any. He's not asking for any contribution, so I don't know how to show my support for him, but I really appreciated his uh, his ministry. We'll just look at these uh, real quickly from verses 7 through 14. The massive personal cost of sexual immorality. Again, I give this fellow Peter Kroll complete, um, complete credit for this. So, uh, let's look at verse 9. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. And he, uh, he points out that you lose your best years in sexual sin and in an inappropriate in a sexual relationship. Um, verse 10, you can squander, or sexual sin squanders your strength and labor, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. How does sexual sin squander strength and labor? How does that what are the, unpack that a little bit for me. What, how does sexual sin zap a person's energy and focus and labor? Well, just think about it for a minute, thinking about an adulterous relationship. How much time and energy is required to keep something like that covered up? Uh, how many lies have to be told and then how many lies have to be remembered that have been told so you can be consistent, so the person can be consistent um, in that cover-up. How much money can be spent uh, in, a, in an adulterous relationship uh, that, that should be for the family? Any other thought about that? How does it squander our, our strength and our labor? Well, it harms multiple people, not just yourself. Okay. And uh, it also is a distraction between you and your relationship with the Lord. Like if you're, I mean, if you're focusing on worldly desires versus a true relationship with the Lord, I think it was Paul mentioning in uh, Ephesians, like better to be like single, that way you're pursued from the Lord than, than a sexual relationship. And then you're focused on the world. Okay. Good. So Joshua says the big drain is that you're not focused on the Lord and walking with Him and loving Him. You're focused on other other things. Good. All right. Uh, anybody else? Oh, John. 
if it keeps going, we can leave the divorce, and then that's, it can be a financial wreck for everybody involved. Yeah, or it can lead to divorce, which is another a huge financial disaster. Okay, um, the next one, verse 11. At, and at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. Crowell uh, says you will regret all the waste and its wreckage. Um, it is impossible to sin sexually and not impact your whole being, your your mind and your body and your uh, your emotions, of course, your spiritual spiritual life. Um, why don't we go ahead and go to First Corinthians six? Just we're going to do that in a minute, but I want you to see see this First Corinthians six, and this is a mysterious thing. Um, you know, our, our culture seems to want to say to us that uh, sexual relations is just purely a physical uh, event. Um, but the Bible teaches something hugely different here. We're going to see that here in 1 Corinthians 6. I think, uh, so what's happening in, in Corinth is these people have been converted out of paganism and they are used to going to the pagan temples and engaging in sexual activity with the prostitutes at those temples. And some of them are still doing that. And so Paul is writing saying, no, you must not do that. Don't you realize how dangerous and terrible that is? So, so I don't want to read too much. So. Now let's start with verse 15. 1 Corinthians six fifteen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. And this is this curious phrase that Paul makes. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral sin sins against his own body. So Paul is saying there's something unique about sexual sin. That it, in, it intertwines one life with another and impacts even us physically um, more than any other sin that we can commit. Uh, verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So, uh, you can go back to Proverbs 5, but isn't that a, a uh, we all, we sense that is true, but how to explain it, I don't, I don't know, but there is something unique and terribly unique about sexual sin, something terribly, some, something wonderfully beautiful about the, about sexual relations between a husband and a wife, but something terrible about sexual relations between the two people that are not, uh, that are not married. So, all of the so back to to our passage in verse eleven. Regret all the waste and its wreckage. It wrecks uh, sexual sin. Wrecks our lives. And then I think I'll just kind of continue here. Verse twelve. Staggering from the the guilt uh, that will be the result. Uh, cowering beneath all the shame. Despair at the public disgrace. Uh, or the, obviously there's usually great hiddenness 
in uh, sexual sin. Uh, but I think sexual sin uh, will be exposed. Maybe not in every single case, but most of the time it is always exposed. It just can't be hidden. It takes too much energy to, uh, to hide it. And of course we know that, well, in fact we may get to see this in another passage, that we're always exposed to the Lord. The Lord always sees, uh, sees all things. Well, um, any other thought about any of those consequences, the cost of sexual immorality? This is a hard lesson to listen to because you're talking more to Christians than you are to non-Christians. Non-Christians to talk like this, it'd be very hard for them to understand. It would, yeah. Joan is saying it'd be hard for unbelievers to understand why we're so concerned about this. Um, so you're right, yeah, we're talking to one another as God's, God's people here. And we can succumb to it too, can't we? So we need to be careful. Okay, well I want to kind of take a little detour here for just a moment. Turn with me to James chapter 1. We've looked at this passage before. <clears throat> sure where to insert this this uh, uh, side side trip to James chapter 1 we could insert it in any one of these three um, three lessons but I thought I ought to get it done well get it done early we've looked at this before but I wanted you to see how clear it is how clear James is because we're thinking about uh, temptation what causes temptation how to avoid temptation how to fight uh, temptation sexually particularly. Um, stay there at James. Let me just read Proverbs 6.25 to you. Uh, Solomon says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart. So just notice that phrase. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. So the two key words I see there are desire and heart. The, folks, the, the issue in sexual sin, as it is in any sin, is that is uh, inordinate desire, inappropriate desire. So now look at James uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. James 1, uh, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. Now, notice we've been talking about a young man being lured and enticed by a, uh, by a forbidden woman. Hey, but now notice here, James is, is going before that happens. So, I think this is the important point. Uh, verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now Solomon could have put in there by the forbidden woman, but James says by his own desire. <clears throat> then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And by the way, that that concept of death is at the is at the end of every one of these three lessons that we see. 
sexual sin always leads to death. Maybe not physical death, but emotional, spiritual, uh, spiritual death. So <clears throat> my question for us to recognize here is that the problem doesn't start out there. It starts, starts in here. This is where the problem begins. Um, the problem starts with our uh, with our heart. And that's what Jesus said, wasn't it? In, in Mark 7, when the Pharisees said, you gotta be sure you wash your hands good and you know that you that you're not defiled by things outside that you eat the right kinds of foods. Remember Jesus said, No, what goes in the body is not what defiles a person. But what comes out of the heart, for out of the heart come all manner of that he I don't think he, the first thing he lists is sexual sexual sin, but these things come out of our heart and those are the things that defile us. So I just want to get that out in front of us here that though we're talking about a very real concern about avoiding sexual temptation that comes from without, the the problem we need to deal with in addition to that is a problem of the heart, problem of our, of our desires. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. The problem of, of, uh, of desires. Um, I have a, uh, so, so what do you do when you have wrong desires? How do you conquer wrong desires? As I think about this, my mind goes to the counseling that I've done with men that are struggling with pornography, and they want to know. I, they want to know. I want to be free from the pornography, and so how can I? You know, give me some steps. I have. A, I'm pretty simplistic about this. I have three, um, three strategies that I that I use in helping young men, and I hope I use them on myself too. I shouldn't say just young men. Um, I've had counseling cases with men struggling with pornography from 19 years old to 74 years old. So it's a it can be a pervasive problem all through uh, all through life. In fact, uh, the counseling cases that I've had from people outside of our church have all have all been men with pornography issues. I've only had three or four, but all of those have been have been pornography. Um, Here's my three steps. The first one is, you can see the, my next point there, the expulsive power of a new affection. I, uh, I found, I think Justin mentioned this, told me about this sermon. I've given you a footnote, you can go get it if you, if you want to. The expulsive power of a new affection. And it's uh, 11 pages long. So I'm not gonna ask you to read it, but you can if you want to. But Thomas Chalmers was a Scottish uh, theologian. I'm not sure when he, uh, 1700s, 1800s, so he's not a real old, oh, 1780 to 1847. And he wrote this, uh, um, this sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And he, here's his point. He says there's two ways to, two strategies you can have to try to overcome a wrong love, a wrong affection. He's talking about loving the world. He said, how do you overcome the love of the world? So there's two ways you can do that. One, you can point out all the terrible things about the world so you'll, you won't have a desire for that anymore. 
And that's what, what we can do with pornography. You can talk about all the terrible things that pornography does with the hopes that that would turn a, a man's heart, or in some cases a lady's heart, away from pornography. But uh, Chalmers says, no, that's, that won't work. There's a better way, and that is to bring before the person a greater affection, a greater desire. And that when his heart becomes uh, in love with a greater desire, it will, it will, uh, he used the word expulsive, it will, it will push out the other desire. Because you can't have two highest desires in your heart, you can only have, you can only have one. And so he goes on to show that, um, that, that that great desire that should replace the, the, uh, the, the desire, in this case for sexual sin, must be the beauty and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we gain that desire by knowing Him and focusing on the Gospel and rehearsing the Gospel message to ourselves each uh, <clears throat> regularly so that the Lord Jesus becomes the one that we love and that becomes our greatest affection. And when that happens, our desire for inappropriate, our love for inappropriate desires uh, will be pushed out. And I've seen this happen in the lives of these young men. Uh, most of them, or all of them, I said, how's your daily time of worship with the Lord? And when we begin, they say, well, I don't really have anything like that. And no wonder they're, having, they're struggling with you know, with inappropriate desires sexually because um, they don't have any greater love than that. But when they begin to, to, to focus on the gospel, the gospel of grace, the joy and delight in Christ and see Him for all of His glory and His love, and they begin to love Him, their desire, their inappropriate desire for pornography gets pushed out the other way. So that's my first strategy with them. Um, in fact, I, I remember... Uh, John Piper, in his little uh, little podcast he does called Ask Pastor John, <coughs> a, uh, a young man wrote in and said, I just, I just can't stop uh, my addiction to pornography. So I'm a traveling salesman and I go to hotel room and, uh, and I get the, the, uh, uh, the remote and I know I can get to a porn channel and I just can't stop. And John Piper said, sure you can. And he said, no, there's no way I can. He said, well, let me set up a scenario for you. You got the, you got the remote in your hand. You're getting ready to click on the porn channel. There's a knock on the door. And there's a man at the door, and he's got a duffel bag. He said, I got a million dollars in this duffel bag, and I'll give it to you if you'll give me the, the remote control. Would you do it? He said, well, yeah, that'd be a pretty good deal. I could do that. And... Uh, he said, here's another one. Man knocks on the door, you're ready to turn on the porn channel. He's got your 14-year-old daughter there with a knife to her neck and says, you want the porn or you want your daughter? And the young man said, well, of course I would. You know, the, the point is, he needed to find a higher love to replace his, in, his inordinate love. And so my first, uh, and this is for all of us, folks, our first uh, defense against inappropriate desires is that our love for Christ is greater and it keeps, keeps that out. The other thing that I do uh, with, with men 
is to impress on them or remind them of their identity in Christ. That in Christ, um, we have died to sin and we really have, a, we really and truly do have a new identity in Him. And if we live out that identity, then we can, uh, we can, uh, we can overcome, overcome, in this case, sexual sin. Then the third thing I talked to them about is you need the help from the body of Christ. You need boundaries. And so, uh, work with work with another man or others to have to, you know to have boundaries around that. So, man, that works for us and ladies. It works for you too. It's not just sexual sin. It can be any any sin that we that our love for Christ becomes predominant and His love for us uh, that we recognize and live out of the identity that we have in Christ. For example, in Romans six, and then uh, that we have these appropriate boundaries and we let other people uh, keep us accountable. And I think also if you start your daily devotional, when you start not doing them, you are more susceptible to sin. If you can be strong in your daily devotional, you are stronger as you meet the temptations that come your way. I've always felt that to stay in that word, and you're kind of ahead of the game if you're in the word every day. Uh -huh. That's exactly right, Ralph. And that's our point, and that's how you keep your love for Christ warm and keeps the other things pushed out. Pretty good. Okay. Uh, so now then, the next point is back to back to uh, Proverbs chapter five. I can tell we're not going to get much past Proverbs chapter five, but that's okay. You ever heard this statement? Thinking about the consequences, the cost of any kind of sin, but sexual immorality. I heard this a few years ago. Sin, sin takes you places you never planned to go and keeps you there longer than you ever planned to stay. And in sexual sin, we don't see that up front. That it's going to take us places we don't want to go that we didn't plan to go, keep us longer than we planned to stay. But that's what, uh, that's what the temptation uh, is our concern. Okay. Uh, verses 15 through 20, Solomon says that uh, the divine alternative, interestingly that he talks about being intoxicated by the forbidden woman's love, and he also talks, talks about the intoxication of proper sexual relations in the, in the bounds of marriage. So they're both intoxicating. The divine alternative is the intoxication intoxication of marital love and there are no regrets because that is the plan that God has uh, has put in place for us um, I'm not going to read it because I'd be uncomfortable reading some of the things that it says there in this in this passage uh, you can read it if you would uh, if you would like to um, uh, but for a married person uh, a healthy and holy and proper sexual relations with your spouse is absolutely essential for um, for maintaining sexual purity. Now, marriage is not an absolute remedy for sexual sin, uh, uh, but it is an important way to have our needs met uh, properly. Well, the summary, let's just get this done. In verses 20 through uh, 23 why should you be intoxicated my son with a foreign woman 
and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. I think what we see here is that uh, that what Solomon has done, he's used sexual sin as an example of any kind of sin. And that, uh, so now he closes this uh, uh, this lesson for his uh, for his son, uh, showing the deception of temptation for any kind of any kind of iniquity. And the first one is the most important, verse twenty-one. Uh, we may think we hide that we're hiding our sin. And maybe we are from others, but we're not hiding them from God. I uh, thought about <coughs> Peter Cole reminded me of the Catechism. This is the Catechism book we use across the hall with the children, and uh, <coughs> here is what our children are learning. Question number eleven. Can you see God? No, I cannot see God, but He always sees me. Question number 12. Does God know all things? Yes. Nothing can be hidden from God. And this is the fear of God, isn't it? It's not the trembling uh, dread of God's judgment for us as God's people, but, the, uh, but it's that awareness that He's watching and He's, uh, he's knowing those things that are there. So this is the illusion of uh, freedom that we think we can get uh, in sexual sin, and it is it is an illusion. Well, well, that's the first one. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to come back to these others next time for chapters six and seven. We might do that, but I do want to get on uh, chapters uh, chapters eight and nine. Chapter eight is a beautiful. Beautiful truths um, of the majesty and glory of wisdom. That's all of chapter nine, chapter eight, chapter nine. So remember, uh, chapters one through nine are the the uh, uh, the introduction to the book of Proverbs. So he's, he's closing chapter nine closes his introduction, and he just lays it out. Here's two. It's the two paths, but it's more than it's in these in chapter nine. He shows two houses, the house that wisdom builds and the house that uh, folly builds. And that's his preparation for us to get into the, to the chapters 10 through 31 where we have all these individual little proverbs that, we'll, that we will study then uh, uh, topically. And so thanks for voting. I'm seeing what you're interested in. I'm interested in the same one's the top of six so far, anger, wrath, and hatred, death and sheol, giving, generosity, and stinginess, pride and conceit, uh, sin and temptation, and the tongue and words. So those are the ones we'll, we'll look at, not next week, but the week after that. Thank you.